0: Episode 258, Data Mesh on Hard Mode, Learning from Airtel's Early Data Mesh Journey. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Sid Shah, Head of Product Data and Analytics at Airtel, a large Indian telecom operator. To be clear though, he was only representing his own views in the episode. Before we jump in, it's important to note that Airtel are doing data mesh on, you know, kind of what I call hard mode, because of regulatory requirements and restrictions they are all on-prem. That means extra challenges when it comes to, you know, securing compute resources and all sorts of, of other challenges. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Sid's point of view. Number one, sometimes you have to stop, start in data transformation. It's okay. You can rebuild your momentum. It's okay to try to move when you aren't 100% sure. Number two, one important thing about data mesh is, is that it can validate that you aren't the only organization facing a lot of the common challenges that come with high scale and business complexity and velocity around data. You are not alone. Scott note here, there's a reason 500 plus companies are doing data mesh, right? You are not alone. These are pretty universal across a lot of large scale companies. Number three, Similarly, you can leverage the stories of other organizations on a Mesh journey to get buy-in internally. Their stories can help you explain to your organization that others are using this approach, that this isn't just a problem in your organization. It's not just, it's not just an us problem. It's a very, very universal problem or set of problems. Number four. Many data issues in a large organization can probably be traced back to poor ownership in some form or fashion around that data. Can the teams who should own data, the ones who know it best, even own the data if they wanted to? Do they have the tooling and the capabilities? Number five, what data related pains are universal to your organization? Does Data Mesh target any of those? Those universal pains in your organization across all the different domains can be a great selling point for doing data mesh. Hey, everybody's having these challenges. We have a way that we think can address these challenges. Let's leverage that. Number six, changing data ownership is very much not trivial. It's not about responsibility. It's about building up the capabilities to allow domains to truly own their data in a safe and scalable fashion. Number seven, it's crucial to mesh, you know, forgive the pun, data mesh and the way your organization functions and operates. It's crucial for implementing, but also driving buy-in. It's a great way to alleviate pushback when someone says, you know, kind of that could never work here or similar. If you want it, you know, if you align it to your existing ways of working. Number eight, the business doesn't want a sausage factory tour. Focus on speaking to their business problems and then actually addressing them. Data, quality, velocity, reliability, etc. What can they do and what are you fixing? Not how you actually do the fixing. That's not what they really care about in most instances. You know, offer the the Sausage Factory tour, but don't try and bring them along when they don't want to know how all the data work is done. Number nine. A potential good mesh selling point for the line of business leaders is time to market. If the time between deciding to run an experiment and it going live can go from weeks to a few days, maybe even a few hours, what does that mean for them? What does that change for them in their ability to do business? Number 10, potentially controversial. Getting outside in perspective to validate your approach can be that really good starting point. Look to bring in those outside presenters, not just talk to them, bring them in that are doing data mesh to talk about how data mesh is working for them and help frame it for your organization. Scott note here, the reason it's controversial is because I know basically of no one else doing it, actually having multiple outside people come in and present to their organization, right? Not just consultants, actual other implementers. Yes, you know, (laughs) all the implementers can't just only present to everybody else that are implementing, but that outside-in perspective helps gain buy-in and, and you know <laughs> lets people know that you're not crazy and just going off on your own uh, kind of mad scientist ideas. Number 11, potentially controversial. As long as the eventual ownership lies with the domains, it is okay to co-own data and hand over that ownership gradually. Give domains the time they need to increase their data fluency. Number 12, If you can, get data mesh explicitly included in the engineering and data strategy for the organization. Scott note, you know, easier said than done and probably don't go for that until you're ready, but it will make your job implementing so much easier if people already know this is something that's important to the organization. Number 13, as many others have noted, do not try to onboard every domain at the start of your mesh journey. That's a recipe for a disaster. Sometimes you have to tell domains you aren't ready for them yet, whether that is capacity or because their use t- cases are too complex for your platform right now, or, you know, you probably don't want to say you're not mature enough or we're not mature enough to bring somebody on that's that's not mature enough, but that can be a reason too. You just have to kind of massage a little bit the, the reason you tell them. Number 14, there's a temptation to go after the most, you know, kind of value-rich domains but you will be far better served going with the domains that are leaning in, that are really excited to participate in data mesh. Number 15, failure at some scale is inevitable in data mesh. Learn from it and move forward. Try to make sure your stakeholders understand that failure is not the worst thing that can happen if you can iterate based on that failure. And if you limit the blast radius, right? You, you create these small scale tests and, and ways that you're trying to figure things out where failure isn't a complete and utter disaster. You make it so that you're like, hey, we're gonna test if this works, and if it doesn't, we're gonna figure out what does. But that's not something that's historically been happening really in data. So make sure people understand it and that you set yourself up to be able to use that and succeed. Number 16, really consider what your focus should be in every stage of your journey. At the start, it's not about building the perfect solution. It's about building momentum, getting a few good wins to use to market internally what you're doing with data mesh and learning where your friction points are so you can build a scalable approach. It's easy to try to get every aspect of data mesh right at the start, you know, that quote unquote right, but that will overwhelm you quickly. You're going to try and make way too many decisions that you don't have the information to, and you're going to box yourself into far too many corners. Number 17, make sure to keep all your stakeholders engaged. That might sound obvious, but every persona and oftentimes every person is quite different. So you will need to focus on different aspects of data mesh when speaking to them to succeed in getting and maintaining engagement, right? You can't just treat it as I'm gonna have one universal message when you're talking to the finance people, they're gonna care about different things than when you're talking to the the people in the HR or in, you know, these different product domains or things like that. Number 18, you'll need to keep a lot of people updated on your data mesh progress and upcoming plans, but very few care about the nitty-gritty details. What's changing that will allow them to deliver more value? That's what matters to them. Number 19, consider whether you should immediately start billing lines of business domains for using the central mesh platform versus making them kind of aware of the costs for a time, right? Where you just say, hey, this is kind of about how much it costs. We're not going to, we're taking on the cost as a central data team, but you know, that it can be a big shift in thinking and approach. So switching the cost to the domains, if they aren't getting incremental budget to do this data mesh work could be a real point of friction or loss of buy-in. You know, and Scott, Note, I think this is a really important point and it's something that you really want to figure out what's going to work for your organization. Like (laughs) if you're not, if you're giving domains incremental responsibility and then you're also throwing the incremental costs of the actual compute and all that stuff onto them, are they really going to want to participate? Probably not. Or maybe a few will, but it's going to make your job much easier. Figure out how to make, prevent that from being an issue. And then finally, number 20, because I'm apologizing, this is way too long, but number 20, it will be pretty hard to lock down your return on your investment in data mesh or for specific use cases, right? How does the business value faster time to market, fewer incidents, better quality data, new use cases, et cetera? Scott note here, I think you can flip it around and make it something domains need to measure or assign a value to, but it's not going to be exact. And you let people know that information around data is not exact, but it's kind of like economics. It's how much value do you place on X or Y or Z? And you push it back to them. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very very excited for today's episode. I've got Sid Shaw here, who's the head of data products at Airtel. To be clear, though, he's only representing his own views. And we're going to be talking a lot about Airtel's journey in in, in data mesh. And Airtel's pretty unique in that they're doing on prem, so it's a um, it's an interesting perspective to look at because on prem is kind of hard mode, right? When it comes to that, and and why uh, they're they're going down that that mode. And so um, we're going to be talking about kind of how they built up the momentum to take their first step. How did they go down this journey? How did they prepare for, you know, kind of the immediate initial aspects as well as the long term? What were some key milestones along the way? How are they doing kind of the change management aspects and operating models? Just a whole lot of the the different things of what are the blocking and tackling of this story to get... (laughs) to get to where they want to go and talk about kind of where they want to go and how they're measuring their progress along the way. But before we get into that, Sid, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for this opportunity as well. Um,
1: I am Siddharth. I run the data analytics and data science team here at Airtel. Airtel is a telco uh, or a telecommunications provider in India. With about uh, 350 million odd customers that we have, and we service uh, only in India geography itself. Um, and so, uh, so I've been with with for the last three and a half years, uh, about 15 years in this domain of data analytics, data science. When people, you know, uh, when modeling was not really the the buzzword, is when when I kind of started this this journey. Um, been with with a bunch of uh, retail organizations, consulting firms, um, and now. Uh, really leading the data transformation work at Airtel. Uh, Scott?
0: Well, and and Airtel has some interest. Being at uh, a telco in India, you have even higher regulatory scrutiny than a lot of places. So I think that's going to be wrapped through a, a lot of the, the conversation that we have here, because again, that's you didn't just choose on-prem for the sake of it. It's like, that's kind of a regulatory environment. So, you know, how did you start to think about Getting going on this data mesh journey, you know, you you reached out to me a while back, maybe I think even a year ago, about uh, hey, we're we're kind of heading down this, we're we're doing this. So, how did you build up the momentum, and how did you think about what were the founding principles? What did you need in place before you started some of the actual day to day work of data mesh, and and what do you think you learned from that, and maybe you know you can reflect on what you might have done differently if if you knew then what you know now and you know so others yeah. can kind of take the learnings from that absolutely that's
1: uh,
0: i think i think scott
1: before we you know we talk about our data mesh journey and it really got catapulted after our conversation um i think it's useful uh to also understand what we what we are or where were we as a telco right um if you think of airtel 350 million customers um about six, seven different businesses, each of them a multi-billion dollar business, generally speaking. Uh, So very, very large scale of operations uh, in that sense, right? Um, If you think of it from a, you know, from a telco standpoint, you know, we've grown through acquisitions, which means that we've kind of grown through, uh, you know, acquiring companies, so disconnected systems and so on and so forth. Um, Then, you know, that adds a lot of complexity to the work that we do. Also, we are about a 25-year-old telecom organization, you know, go back four or five years, all of our data was in silos. Uh, We couldn't stitch a customer journey uh, across from, you know, the point the customer is dropping a lead to the time the customer is getting acquired. That was was a very, very hard job to do. So just to give you a sense of how painful the problem was uh, four or five years back, and One of the key decisions we made at that time was to start centralizing a lot of this, bring a lot of data into the data lake, build a data lake, bring a lot of this data together, so on and so forth. Fast forward three, four years, Scott, um, this central lake was basically serving most of Airtel's use cases, right? Uh, But we we started soon realizing we are landing into trouble uh, as as, you know, the number of use cases grew, et cetera, right? So what was happening is year over year, we were throwing more people at the problem. Uh, You know, we were adding more and more engineering teams, product teams, analytics teams, so on and so forth. And if you think of it really from an organization standpoint, do we really want a central entity to keep churning use cases or do you want to start um, getting everyone to start learning and using data, right? So that was one big shift of thinking that we were trying to drive towards saying, you know, everyone should be data savvy to a certain extent, right? But if you have to do this, then a lot of the work on the data platform itself, which the engineers were the only people who were able to use the data platform, also had to kind of um, get solved in the sense that the platform had to improve in a way that other users could have used this data. So what I'm trying to say is, we didn't really think of mesh as a starting point to any of these. These problems organically came through, right? The problem on you know when we started pumping a lot of data centrally, the first problem that we had was we had very poor governance in the sense of the fact that uh, um, you know we didn't we didn't record who where the data was coming from, what kind of quality checks we we made a very bad mistake in terms of not cataloging the data very well, so on and so forth, right? And so as a result the business teams didn't really know what to trust, what to not trust. You know, we have five versions of the same truth, right? So, while we were able to stitch the journeys, you know, you can always question whether this was even the right number or not. So, so that was one very large problem that we were getting into. The second big problem was only the engineering teams or probably the analytics teams could access and use this data. Um, and the use cases were becoming more and more complex and evolved in nature. So, the teams were getting stuck because of bandwidth issues. They were. There were issues where even our highest priority, if I had to only solve my highest priority problems, that would have also taken me six months, you know? So the backlog was ever increasing, right? The quality of data was becoming poor, velocity and the go-to market was becoming harder. And so we were landing into very similar troubles, Scott. Uh, uh, We didn't really call this mesh at that point. And this is probably about a year and a half back when we really started looking at What are we getting into, you know, in some ways? Uh, But then it was the same underlying issue. The ownership of data was very poor. The source systems dump the data. They don't really, you know, have ownership of the data as such. Uh, There was no platform that you could, a business user could come and take on. Uh, Governance was poor. And these were, again, you know, as we then started thinking of mesh as a concept, we realized these were the exact same issues we also were getting into. So what mesh helped us do is to one validate the fact that you know there are others who are having a very similar issue. Uh, it also helped us, uh, you know, Scott in in you know it was a it was you know it was a shift. We then started seeing a lot of other organizations are also going through, and because we were able to kind of map ourselves to that, we were also able to kind of explain to the organization why we are trying to do this. So it's not just we alone who are in this trouble, but others are also thinking of it like
0: this. And so it helped us get on a certain bandwagon of of sorts. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, I one of the things that people have uh, come back to me a lot with uh, around, you know, the stuff that I've done around data mesh is it's that it's not necessarily, I mean, hopefully a lot of the stuff is useful information, but a lot of it's also validation of, we're not the only ones. Oh, am I the only ones that are facing this? Because none of the conference presentations are talking about this and coming yeah. back and saying like, hey, everybody's having this challenge. It's totally normal. So, so how, you know, you, you had mapped out the problems. You were really feeling these problems. Everybody was kind of feeling the problem. So at least you had that, um, that vector for driving buy-in because everyone's like, yes, this is a big problem." So. How did you start to to build that up so that you didn't just kind of go out there and start doing, you know, decentralizing the things? And then, you know, if you do that without care, it ends up causing even more problems than the the current problem. So like, how did you start to head down that path? What did you think about creating the the momentum to not just do an initial drive, not just get an initial data product or two out there, but to to kind of create the momentum to continually do this? Yeah. Um, Scott, one of the big,
1: you see, if you just think through the stakeholders that I have, right, at the senior most level, it's really the CEO um, who heads the organization, the, the product organization, the CPO, the CIO who heads the engineering organization, and then the business officer who heads the business, right? These are typically the stakeholders to any such transformation, right? and uh, one of the realizations we had was this is a this is not a very trivial exercise in terms of just changing ownership you know just you know instead of me doing it someone else does it right it was a transformation of a very large scale um large scale also because of the complexity of the organization the number of different engineering teams involved and product teams involved and number of systems involved so um and, and the idea was not to try and do this piecemeal to start with. The idea was to first get a buy-in at a larger level and then try and figure out how to solve this properly. Fortunately, we were at a place where the pain, like you said, was felt by everyone. It was at least about a year, year and a half of pain where you know problems were not getting solved at the time the business wanted, etc. And so there was no lack of acknowledgement of pain. Let let me just put it that way, right? So the second big piece was, I think, the the general understanding of Mesh at a very high level existed within the uh, leadership, right? Which is my CIO and CPO, right? So product and engineering leadership had a general understanding of Mesh. They didn't really have the detailing around it, but the general understanding existed. And so when the concept was introduced to them to kind of try and solve this as a problem, It wasn't an alien concept, generally speaking. So that helped. The third big piece then was Scott actually to see how exactly can we do this at Airtel. You know, because it's one thing to know the concept. It's one thing to understand the foundations, etc. But how exactly will all of this work? The detailing work? How do I get at least my leadership to think through some of the problem statements with me was essentially the first job to be done, Scott. And this is where we we used to run rigorous weeklies and biweekly uh, reviews with them on various different topics of you know ingestion governance cataloging the importance of cataloging the you know so so they at their hundred feet uh, hundred thousand feet level also can understand what the problems are how are they manifesting how are we thinking about solving them what can be platformatized and generally how do you think the role shift it was a journey to you know of several iterations to just get them to also be in somewhat of that detail, to go from just saying, okay, we are bought into Mesh to saying we really are bought into Mesh, you know, uh, and we really believe in this. That was the first step, Scott, for us.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think one of the things that comes through a lot in in these conversations is how do you actually have that conversation? and And so you know seeding that conversation so that when you actually come to them and say hey we're really considering data mesh it isn't completely foreign but you've you put the right things about mesh in front of them because if they just go out and and google it they're going to find a vendor they're going to find you know uh one of these thousands of what is data mesh articles that you know one out of 50 uh actually are going to inform you in a different way than just reading Jmac's blog post as 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 dense as the blog posts are um, that you know that are going to add more to your your understanding or simplify certain aspects of it rather than kind of go off and be like hey just use you know vendor xyz and you've got data mesh so yeah so when you started to think about you know getting that that top-down understanding how how far did you go because one of the things that I'm finding is a lot of people are making the mistake, you know, I, I have something I've been talking about for a long time with my unicorn farts theory, which is when you're gonna go talk to a business person, if you're gonna have if you're gonna put data mesh in the conversation or you're gonna put it in the documentation, you should just especially documentation, copy, find, replace with unicorn farts. And people go, Well, I would never put that in front of a, a business person. It's like, Well, should you really put mesh in front of, I think we now have a corpus of content out there that allows people to understand it well enough that maybe we don't have to stop, you know, say, Hey, never say data mesh to a business person. But like, how far were you going? Like, what, what were you focusing on? Here's our target outcomes. Were you focusing, you know, a a phrase that, that kind of came to me the other day was stop trying to give people a, a sausage factory tour. They want the sausage, right? They 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 want the output. They want a tasty sausage. They don't want a tour of the, of the factory. So, how did you balance that? Because data people love to talk about <laughs> data and the processes to <laughs> generate good data and 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 you know specifically talking to problems. I think I think uh, absolutely right. I think the business really
1: cared for better velocity in delivery, so that they can kind of uh, go to market faster. Uh, the business really cared for uh, data quality being good because they, their analysts were spending a lot of time in just getting the right, finding out where the right data was, right? So the business really cared for these as problems. They really cared for the fact that their reports and dashboards don't break because the moment that breaks, their um, operational excellence kind of breaks. So the business really cared for these things, right? The business really cared for the fact that if they're doing a new launch, You know, how does this impact downstream the number of systems that exist? So at the end of the day, when we are talking to the business, we are really trying to say these are the problems we intend to solve and how we intend to solve, Scott. uh, Mesh is rarely uttered as a word, uh, you know, uh, to most of the business stakeholders. Um, So so I think you're right. They just really care for the sausage. And I think that's fair as well. Uh, The sausage making can be in the product and engineering organization.
0: And when you talk, I, I know this is a difficult question because it's different in every conversation and everything like that. But when you're talking about, you, you said, and how are we going to solve it? Like, do you have an example of of what phrasing you would use versus, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to use this technology. And we're going to do this versus like, hey, we're breaking it up into these um, data products that are around these kind of topics. And then we're combining it and we're going to deliver you a dashboard or we're going to deliver you know, this so that your business analysts can slice and dice however they want. Or like when you were talking about that, how are we going to solve it? What Do you have an example of that? Because I think this is where the conversation goes way too deep, way too often. I I have
1: a couple of examples here. So for example, one of the large problems that are one of the largest use cases of data is to send messages to customers or send communication to customers for cross-sell upsell kind of use cases right Um, so one of the big things that we do there is to mine mine the data to understand what is the right signal or which helps us understand what is the customer's intent to buy and then kind of act on that signal that's essentially what we're doing here right Scott what now what the business here would have done in the past is they would have if they had to mine some signal they would have to rely on an engineer, perhaps wait for a few weeks before a signal is generated, then go test it out in the market. With the new platform coming into picture, they will have a self-serve capability to mine whatever signal they want. So what my pitch to the business is your time to kind of experiment has gone down from three to four weeks to about a day or less, right? that is very important for them because then that increases their speed of experimentation significantly and as a result the impact is fairly obvious so so these are the kind of use cases and this is this is essentially what i explained to them right there is no mesh there is no self serve platform not, none of that comes into picture but it's
0: essentially how their journey will change yeah i think that makes a lot of sense of of especially that experimentation thing because if you have with with data historically, it's been either projects have been a failure or they've been a success or they've been a, a, a moderate success, you know, is, is kind of as best as most projects get, you know, 80% or 90% deliver under expectations. But when you have that ability to quick pivot, you can go, hey, we're want to try this thing. Okay. Nope. That's not working. We can shut that down. And we didn't waste three months doing it. We, we spent, you know, a couple of hours setting up the experiment and we put it through, you know, you've got 350 million customers, you maybe put it through half a million customers or or even, you know, 100,000 customers and saw what that was, but that you can do small, small scale instead of like, it takes us, you know, like you said, three, four weeks to set up the experiment. And then it takes us, you know, another three weeks of running the experiment because we don't have the the data flow to know we don't want to shut off the experiment early if we don't and we don't know if it's good or bad so we waste it so it's almost like you you cut the setup time down to a day and then you cut the actual running of the experiment and and figuring that stuff out and you can do much smaller scale tuning instead of going we're going to test these seven things in this experiment instead of we can test this one thing and we can test this other and we can test these two together and we can do these different things and see what happens. It just gives you a lot more ability to play around with things and, and, you know, understanding your baseline. I I loved, um, Sadie Martin, when she was on, was talking about the number of times she's seen an AB test where they didn't take their baseline before the a or b so it's like which one's better a or b oh well b is is better and it's better by you know it takes the conversion rate to like 7.3 percent well before you did this you had a 7.5 percent conversion rate so you just dropped it and like yay it's better than the a of seven percent but um so when you're communicating with people i'd love to to talk about milestones and stepping stones along the way like how do you think about communicating those successes or how do you think about extracting the information about those successes to communicate to others where you go okay what what was an actual success here um and what uh, like just because historically we haven't communicated that well about data projects and how successful they were and so data products even gets a little bit more fuzzy around that but how do you think about doing that to gain more momentum, to gain more buy-in, to go back to them and say, "Hey, like we should get more funding because this is being successful."
1: Um, we, we've been we've been actually very deliberate in terms of um, advocacy of of data mesh as a full charter. Generally speaking, Scott, uh, you know, at the beginning when we were trying to get the buy-in, we you know we we brought in a lot of. Um, People from outside to kind of tell, uh, t- so that they could tell their experiences on 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 what meshes, and how they've seen this implemented, and how how this is impactful. And this is this was to the audience of, I would say, the engineering leaders, the product leaders, uh, the engineering managers, the product managers, and also the people on the ground who will do the job. You know, all of these guys were, to, you know, we would have uh, webinars of two hundred 250, 300 people just trying to understand this, right? So in the first three, four months of doing this, Mesh was no longer a word people didn't know of, right? That was our first big piece, right? And uh, at least at the engineering leadership level, um, they were also getting clearer of the fact that somewhere or the other, they would, sometime or the other, they'll have to get on this bandwagon, right? Because this was starting to gain momentum. So I think those were the couple of big pieces we had done before we even did a first launch of sorts. The the standard or the kind of pushback we would get rightfully so from the domains was they don't have the skill set to do something like this. They don't have the resourcing both from a people as well as compute or storage resources to kind of do this. So that was the standard pushback we used to get. And so an, a whole bunch of advocacy that we have done after that is to kind of address this, right? More often than not, What we say is if the domain has a high intent to kind of solve this and own this, we will try and provide as much support as possible as a central organization to bring them up to speed onto this. So so that has become very clear as our intent, generally speaking, Scott. So if we see a domain with very high intent, who wants to do this, may not have the skill set, may not have the bandwidth or resourcing, we will help them solve this together with them being the eventual owners of this. Uh, The second piece that we did, Scott, was, was, you know, around the skill set that is needed, right? So we've also gone to the extent that someone with even very, you know, someone who's fresh out of undergrad with one year of experience, no data engineering experience, is able to go end-to-end from the time of ingesting the data to building a dashboard, right? So we've made these use cases and hero stories if you can call them, to say, look, there are people in the organization who've kind of done this end to end journey themselves without any support or hand holding. Right. So now the question is, why are you not able to do this? Right. Uh, as you know, so, so we've also now, you know, we've taken some hero cases, we've developed some of these hero cases, and now we are going back to the organization or some parts of the organization saying, you know, this is now for all of us to try it. Right. So I think these are some of the things that we employed, Scott, so that. Uh, to address very specific challenges that we were seeing in the organization in terms of, you know, people uh, upskilling issues and, you know, things like that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Well, and and I think that um, that's, you said earlier as well, that you, you don't just hand over ownership. Like to me, treating ownership like a hot potato. If you just go, you now own it, that doesn't do anything or, or at, at best it doesn't do anything. And you know, oftentimes it just creates more chaos. And because then the central team goes, well, we don't own it anymore. So then things really start to fall apart. You know, nobody's really minding the shop at all. Um, so I think that that helping them along the way to actually becoming capable of doing this is, is challenging, but necessary. And so um, I think that's a, a great kind of way that I'm seeing more and more that are being successful with data mesh is um, that they're spending the time to upskill people and, and to make sure that they've got the resources to do this, but also starting with not super, super complex use cases, because you don't go in and go, hey, we're going to, you know, hey, we're, we're putting on some training wheels for you, but we're going to we're going to put you in, you know, a race car kind of race, versus we're going to put you in a a friendly race around the block uh, with some kids on on tricycles or something like that. So, like, how how did you communicate that as well as to we have to learn to crawl before we can learn to walk before we can learn to run? I know everybody wants to run with data, but this isn't a snap of the fingers. This isn't. Was that something that people just understood and accepted because you know most organizations that's kind of the case, but like did you have pushback from that as well? I think um, in some ways it was
1: the central team's onus here, Scott, for us to make sure that this is successful because if this is not successful, the the work comes back into the central team for them to kind of solve on a regular basis, right? So generally speaking, the onus is on me also, to make sure as a central organization to make sure that the domains are successful. That's one. Right. Um we've you know it's it's hard in an organization like Airtel to kind of say we will not start everywhere immediately because, you know, we're already always we are almost always late. You know? So but 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 I think um, the place where we we got a lot of traction, Scott, is that this became a part of the data uh, this became a part pl- part of the engineering strategy for the year generally speaking and you know data mesh was one of the pillars of the engineering strategy and that meant that everyone in the organization had a view of, of what we are doing and that is also a forum that gave us a forum to say uh you know you know how we are thinking of a data organization right in this we used this forum quite effectively to then start um uh, start uh, sequencing things, you know, uh, saying that let's build the platform, let's build the platform well. Uh, let's take a couple of domains, let's take them and um, and you know, do well with with a couple of domains to start with. And so that's essentially what we have done, Scott., um, we are at a stage now where we have onboarded about five domains, um, and, uh, you know, now we are in the process of making sure they are ramped up and they are doing heavy duty use cases. Our systems are ramped up. Um, And what we've basically asked the organization is to give us a quarter for us to solve a lot of this. So we are never saying no to this. We are always saying, look, we are probably a quarter or two away from onboarding the entire organization, right? And that, that much of leeway the organization usually is willing to give, right? So we are being very transparent about our work. We are being transparent about how we are sequencing some of these things. And then, you know, we are bringing the organization and the leadership along the way. I think that's kind of helped us in holding fort to the largest extent Scott.
0: Well, and and I think a couple of things you said in there um one that really resonates is that this was part of the engineering strategy and it it, it wouldn't have been if you hadn't laid the groundwork for, you know, 6 9 months to make sure that it was part of that engineering strategy. It, there is a challenge between um trying to set everything up perfectly before you start versus getting going and, um, and that. So I'd love to hear, was this, you know, and you mentioned this earlier as well, that a lot of people want to copy paste somebody else's data mesh journey. And you, you obviously didn't go into that. You talked to a whole bunch of different people and, you know, we had um, a panel recently uh, of people who are on their second or more data mesh journey. And across the seven different journeys from the three different panelists, all of them were were pretty wildly different, um, right? Like from because you're at such a different starting point. So I'd love to hear if someone were to come to you and ask, you know, Sid, we're we're trying to start. We want to make sure we we don't have a big false start, but we also don't want to spend a year waiting to to go, like. How would you recommend somebody kind of balance those two things? Like had you already kind of started creating some of the stuff that was necessary before this year started and this was kind of the year of mesh and the engineering strategy, like how, how would you recommend somebody kind of approach that question? When we
1: were when we were attempting to do this Scott uh, about a year, year and a half back, and we were unclear on how exactly we will proceed, Scott, we actually did a bunch of things uh, while we were trying to, ramp up our leadership we were also at the same time trying a domain or two and seeing if they are going to you know come on board our journey right we failed miserably because uh somewhere or the other leadership wasn't bought in you know we made poor judgment calls but at the end of the day that helped us a lot because that helped us understand that behind uh you know behind people or behind the domains um you know, issues around people or resourcing was really the problem of intent. And that had to become, you know, widely understood by the leadership. So we tried and failed and I thought it was okay to fail because it also showed us that we really have to develop our platform very well. We really have to do a bunch of things before. So it tested our readiness for whether we were really ready for Mesh or not, right? And I think a year and a half back, we were really not ready for this. And so some of our starts were really false starts, but it helped us understand and shape our mesh strategy. So I don't, I I think it, you know, we burned three months of time and effort, but it helped us in navigating through, you know, downstream. It also helped the engineering leadership understand that this is not going to be easy. And if you really had to make this work, you have to make it a part of the strategy. You can't just do this on the side so in some ways some of these false starts and burnt hands really helped us in making sure this was getting embedded scott um i don't think i think every organization is different in that sense and that's our learning too we picked people who had who were the most desperate in need for help we picked people who were uh you know who really wanted to also get on the bandwagon with us um who were a bit more flexible on the product and the engineering side to kind of experiment this with us, and we tried this out. Uh, you know, we hedged our bets with two or three different domains so that you know, even if one domain gets stuck, we can still move this forward a little bit. You know, so we tried a bunch of these uh, to kind of push through. Scott,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Well, and and I think um, again, like what keeps coming through is. It would be really nice if you could just kind of get going, but like if you're going to have sustained organizational change, you know, um, uh, Benny Benford was on a recent episode and he was talking about um, that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so building up that momentum to not just, you know, hey, we created a new platform and everybody should just use this. And it's like, well, why would we use this? What's it, you know, it's more about creating the, the organizational um, aspects that could take advantage of this. But again, Mesh for the sake of Mesh, you, you kind of talked about that earlier, of like, we didn't want to just do Mesh. Like, Mesh wasn't the point. It's Data Mesh isn't the point of, of Data Mesh, which is a very weird sentence to say. But what I mean by that is the point is the organizational change. The point is what it enables it's not about, you know, the people that are trying to do mesh for the sake of mesh are, are the ones that are most likely to fail because they're trying to, to get to the end point. They're trying to just implement. They're trying to, to take all these copy paste from everybody else instead of how do we actually do this in a way that's going to mean that this that this gets sustained and that sometimes that means you're you're sitting there and you're building up buy in, you're building up momentum which people don't want to do, but a lot of times it's necessary. So I'd love to hear as part of that kind of uh, in response to to what I, I said there as well, how did you navigate that resistance, right? Like you talked about kind of going in and saying, we're going to provide you the capabilities that you need and the resourcing that you need. But like Surely there was other things that say, hey, even when you do that, I don't care. Or did you just kind of say, we're not going to work with that domain initially? Or was there everybody's pain was so high that they went, okay, I've kind of, do-. You, you talked a little bit about everybody saw the writing on the wall that they have to do this because it was being mentioned all the time. So would love to hear kind of how that worked.
1: Yeah. So I think um, it takes a few cycles, Scott. It's not it's not that you know you'll get it right the first time. It took us at least three or four cycles, and every cycle is probably three to four months uh, to to get this right um, or to get it to a certain state where at least we're getting a few domains onboarded. Um, like I said, the first cycle was you know people bought in, interested in doing things. We got stuck with infrastructure. We got stuck with intent. We got stuck a lot, right? Uh, the you know the, then the subsequent cycles we started you know. We we said let's onboard a vendor who can help us build a you know who can he- who can give the platform on the on, on day one and we got stuck there because you know the vendor would you know we wouldn't be able to scale that that wouldn't have been a sustainable answer um, you know for the future so on and so forth so we got stuck in many different places there um, and and in all of this we also started realizing which are the pockets we can probe and kind of solve for to first which are the pockets we can't right. Um, So my job really was not to navigate resistance and actually solve for every resistance um, today, right? My job was to get the first few use cases out to really understand customers' feedback, which is my source domain's feedback, to understand how exactly do I build my platform for future, right? What exactly will, where exactly will we get stuck from Uh, resourcing and people standpoint and what kind of domain expert, what kind of expertise, data expertise do I need to carry to make this work? Like data modeling as an example, right? That's not an expertise everyone has. So I would probably hold that centrally. Um, Then my third piece was what kind of uh, sequencing, what kind of business use case, et cetera, that I'll unlock as a result of all of this. So I think my job was not to fix all resistance. It still is not to fix all resistance. My job is to find a few good use cases big use cases large enough that it can make an impact and at least get that going first right and build my platform and bunch of things along the way once this is done and i'm saying maybe in a quarter from now we'll be there right then i think is the real question around why why aren't like i'm i feel like i'm ready i feel i've tested the market enough and people understand the platform enough what do i do to bring everyone on board here Right, so that's how I've dealt with it. It's it's a you know, it's a journey. You know, this it will take a village. It will take pretty much the entire organization to come on board. Um, I couldn't have solved for the entire organization to start with. I've just solved for a few pockets and got got them there. Um, the organization eventually that resistance solving will happen, and that's where a lot of advocacy. Goes.
0: I like that that phrasing of it takes a journey. And and uh, one thing that kind of came through was. Hey, you're not going to succeed in every battle. So there's a lot of battles where you know that you can't succeed. So just don't take those on right now. There's no reason to waste your mental energy and your time and your resources and all that stuff simply because you're like, well, that might be the most high value use case. Well, if but if they're not engaged, then, you know, when you go to actually hand over ownership, they'll just say we don't ever want to take it. You know, you central team should still continue to own it. And so I think a lot of what's coming through here again is the you know kind of the the phrase of you know whatever higher power or whatever uh, grant me the um, the whatever the like strength to change what I can the with the um, serenity to accept what I can't and the wisdom to know the difference between them. And I think that's kind of you want to reassess the the wisdom to know between which one's which, but you know every quarter or whatever but a lot of people are running into walls because they go well this is going to be the biggest impact versus this is where I can have the biggest impact right if that person isn't bought in if that that leader is is pushing back so much you're just not going to have a uh, a good time <laughs> trying to deal with them so i think that's a a really important thing and i'd love to hear as well, I know you're kind of early in, in a lot of this delivery and working with these domains, but, you know, you said you've been on this for, you know, over a year of kind of building this momentum up and things. How did you keep people interested in this, right? You, you got that that buy-in early and then things kind of faltered a little bit. Like, how did you keep them coming back and going, no, we we still want to do this. We still want to kind of focus on this. Spot from a...
1: From, from keeping the, the team engaged or the organization engaged on this journey, right, I think uh, keeping the leadership engaged was important, keeping product and engineering counterparts was important, and then keeping the, the people who are actually going to do this work and get benefit of this, all of this was very different. So from keeping the leadership engaged, what they really care for is are we on a track that makes sense, that is future-proof, and that is really impacting the business. Showing incremental progress really helps in keeping this. Uh, so for the, for example, one of our incremental progress was we were able to start, we started cataloging a lot of our pieces uh, of of our data, of the most important data sets that we have. And that was important enough, right? Uh, in terms of how we are improving the velocity, in, in terms of how we are benefiting the organization. When it came to the product and engineering leadership, what they really care for is when the product is going out in the market. Um are we really able to deliver analytics, deliver insights immediately, right? So that was the problem that we were trying to solve. And incrementally, we could show how we are able to kind of do this, right? There were certain parts of, you know, you could do your ingestion yourself. You could, you know, as we were building the platform, you could do some of the transformations yourself, things like that. And that became very important, right? So incrementally showing some of these pieces. Um, and, And so... Similarly, keeping the business interested in a lot of this, right? Uh, Doing roadshows in terms of what is the impact, uh, use cases of you know where we are seeing uh, you know some of this deliver value. Um, We do these quarterly um, uh, town halls of sorts, right? Of where we are basically showing how some of this is uh, you know we it's it's almost a show and tell of you know all the work that we have done. I think that has really helped in keeping people interested enough to know that, you know, uh, this is something that, that 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 can solve a lot of their challenges on a day-to-day basis um, or they will have to kind of jump on this bandwagon uh, one way or the other, right? I think that's generally been the case, Scott. I think a lot of steering committee meetings, a lot of business uh, meetings, a lot of town halls, things of that nature.
0: So we've really done that well. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, A lot of what you're talking about there is just, again, the communication. And a lot of people think that um, data mesh is, you know, you you talked about you didn't have the platform early when you first started. If you don't have the infrastructure in place, yes, it can cause problems. But it's also, if you are, um, if you are not doing the communication right that's going to cause far more problems and that's that's how you build the momentum to do this over the long term because a lot of people are still thinking about data mesh as a one two year kind of journey instead of a five to seven year journey and it's like yeah you're going to get to a a decent place by by end of year two if you're if you're doing well but trying to think that you're going to be done with it at that point is 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 kind of you know it's you're just you're you're not putting yourself in a realistic place so like but historically people are used to this like okay i get that data takes time to build but in 9 months it is built for me and i don't have to run it versus this is something that you're going to have to run for the next you know potentially 5 10 years this data product how did people react to that was that something where people were expecting something very different in it and this became um, a pushback point or was it like people really got it because people just kind of understand how products should work and things like that? Yeah, um, the short answer is people don't understand that and it takes it does take a lot of time to
1: for them to understand this. Actually, you bring up a very interesting point here, Scott, because even for us to understand that this would take long and not a year or two years, Uh, was a journey for us. And actually, uh, the radio really helped because we were able to identify people who have been practitioners here. And we realized that even to onboard a domain, people have taken probably two years or so, right? And, you know, get the ways of working right, get the governance right, and all of that. Uh, We were going to battle this on-prem where tooling is limited in nature, where the scale of data is high, uh, so on and so forth. So at least the operating team had a mindset that this is going to be a long journey, right? The first job was to actually get the leadership to understand this was a long journey too, because they will be able to help us withstand the pressures that would come from all sides, right? I think that we were fairly successful in saying that, you know, this is going to be a three, four year journey. Um, so, th- so we got the leadership to understand this is going to be a three, four year journey, Right. When it comes to the business teams, right, what we're really doing is showing them quarter on quarter progress, right? We're not really talking about a four-year journey. No one really cares for, you know, how the governance is going to be done and how domains will get onboarded. I think what really matters is what's coming next quarter, what's coming two quarters later. How does this help them? I think that's the journey we've taken. So we've given everyone clarity in terms of what they can expect in about 12 months broken down by quarter. And I think that's the journey we're bringing them along on. So that way, we 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 we've not really tried to say tell this to everyone that this is a four year journey. You know? Although we understand in our heads it's going to take time, it's a quarter by quarter thing that we're kind of explaining to everyone.
0: Yeah, well, and I don't think you have to be like, hey, this is exactly how this is going to look in four years because one, a lot of people don't care, and two, um, you know, they're they're like, okay, sure, but you don't give yourself the flexibility versus like, what are we delivering and why in the next you know three or six months? So. I wanted to talk about, you know, you mentioned again on-prem. I talked about with you about this, that on-prem is kind of ultra hard mode of of data mesh. Um, you know, I talked to a couple of people who went, I, I can't believe um somebody's being successful on-prem. So you're obviously doing some things right because it's it's that much harder. But how do you think about costing and budgeting and things like that when it's even more complex? Well, maybe it's it's not as complex because Everything is Opex in the cloud, except for uh, the things where you can somehow work some of the weird um, purchasing. But like, how did you think about that budgeting? How do you think about as well the measuring the cost of of a single data product? Is it worth it? Is it what? What about the use case and things like that? I'd love to hear kind of how you're you're getting into that and having those conversations. Scott, as an organization, right? Uh, this
1: organization, especially we, you know. People think of budgets centrally. People don't think of budgets uh, broken down by domains or teams, right? And there is a inherent bias, you know, towards doing things centrally. Generally speaking, so I think what you have, what you're battling here, is a lot of precedence in terms of uh, everything has to be central. Procurement is central. Uh, management of the infra is central. The budgeting is central, and so on, right? So what we are really trying to do here, Scott, is two things. One is first get our own understanding right in terms of how much does it cost for a new use case or new data stream or whatever that is to be get onboarded, right? And we've created calculators now to help us understand that. We are embedding this in our processes to say, look, you intend to onboard this. This is essentially the cost, right? Again, when we discussed, uh, you know, that this is a few years of journey, This specifically is a big transformational shift of saying, you know, instead of this being a central kitty, now this goes from my purse as a domain, right? That's a very big shift. So what we intend to do this year as an example is only give people a sense of their costs and usage. We don't want to bill them, but we're just saying notionally for all the work that you do on the platform, this is essentially the cost, right? Over a period of time, we want to inculcate the behavior of saying, how can you now reduce the cost from x million to by you know by 20-30 percent we don't want to inculcate that behavior today we don't want to push that today all we want to do is people to become conscious of this because absence of this you know there will be garbage pumped in there'll be garbage staying inside the platform and then there'll be garbage pumped out and no one will really be able to clean all of this so all we want is just people becoming conscious first
0: yeah, as somebody who did AWS cost management for a public company, yes, the amount of things that just are staying out there and nobody really knows why and all of that, it's just, it's constant. And so, um, but yeah, and I think what you said there as well of making people aware but not charging them, especially if you're not giving them um, extra resources from an actual to spend standpoint on those resources and you're taking what was a central IT budget that maybe you build back, maybe you didn't. And, you know, that if you go, okay, not only are we asking you to do more and and hopefully we're going and realigning your KPIs so you can do this, we're upping your capabilities, all that stuff. But if you then start trying to charge them, it's again, it's it's just it's one or two or three steps too far, right? Like if you're lucky, it's only one step too far versus being really, really overly too far in in a lot of cases. Exactly. So I'd love to hear how you think about the actual measuring the value of a, a use case or or things like that, because this has always been the hard aspect of, of, you know, measuring the cost of data work is difficult, measuring the impact or the value is is 5x, 10x is difficult. So like, how are you thinking about that return on investment conversation with people?
1: I think this has been a very hard conversation, Scott. The reason is because sometimes the value in doing a lot of this um, is a long-term value that you see, because the data gets cleaned over a period of time, you see value over a period of time, the velocity improves over a period of time, right? Um, so, trying to extract value uh, in the near term is generally harder. So that's one problem. The second is, um, in a lot of this, the value is because you've been able to do things faster. So, what took three weeks or four weeks took one day, right? You can't really put a very strong business value against it because you know the organization generally has been used to, you know, doing things you know, with three weeks of or four weeks of time, right? So trying to put a value on time savings and that associated to, you know, people costs is a very trivial value, generally speaking, and uh, the grand scheme of things. So saying, you know, I've saved three people's time for three weeks is not a lot of value, generally speaking. So then exactly, where exactly will you get the value from, right? I think as we've built some of these capabilities, we've unlocked newer use cases that could not have been done before, Right. We focused on that as the value, right? We said, okay, these were some of the uh, data, some of the data and the processing and the use cases you could actually not have solved before, right? We've we've stayed very clean to say now the platform is enabling now the you know doing you know having a mesh approach of solving is now enabling you, and that is the value that we are kind of focused on. Um, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think. It- it's it's one thing where what I see, at least from my experience with, with talking with finance or things like that, when they say, I want to know the return on investment, you can't go to them with completely, you know, only story based with only uh, qualitative, but you can start to say, here is the value of what we're doing and here is how much it is valued by this team what were the the three use cases that were unlocked? Or, hey, we found this thing where we were losing market share within, you know, this amount of time. And we, we've tested out three different responses and we stopped our turn from, you know, at, at being 5% on this to down to 4% or whatever, that that's a, a major savings. Or, you know, what is the impact of of the data work? Um, it's a, a conversation that's difficult, but I I find that if you go in to the finance people and tell them, this is the impact it's going to have. And then you go back and say, this was the impact it had. And, or this is what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, One, one thing that pink shoe brought up, you know, a while back in, in her episode was what's the value of making a decision to not go into a new market Right. You weigh all the pros and cons and it doesn't, and the answer is you shouldn't go into this market. What is the value of not making a bad decision? Is a very it's something that humans understand implicitly, yet, like how do you measure that from a business perspective is is incredibly difficult. But I think those conversations of coming to people and saying, this is the way that we're going to be looking at this, this is the way we're going to figure out our impact measurement, is is. If you've got reasonable partners, they'll, they'll come and they'll, they'll work with you on it. If you don't, then it's unfortunate. There's nothing you can really do, but I think reasonable people will say, okay, like, let's talk about how do I actually understand what this is doing to the business and what that means for the business, but I don't need a number. It's funny the the data around data work is probably the least clear data in all of, <laughs> of yeah. data. It's so strange. It's uh, it's it's a difficult journey, Scott.
1: Um, it's it's not easy to to extract uh, to to be definitively be able to extract value. Like to be able to say, I think looking back two years and three years, you will be able to see this as a transformational shift. I think the leadership generally understands, but looking at you know very specific objectives and then extracting value has generally been very hard for us. Um, that's why we just focus on things that are net new that no one can doubt and usually because the scale of operations is so large that value itself is so large that you know it funds pretty much everything else so yeah. it's just been easier that way but I can I can really understand if you take a use case or two trying to extract value out of just this particular transformation is
0: just going to be very hard yeah it makes sense it's it's uh, a difficult uh, thing but at the same point again if you if you can have reasonable conversations with people and get them to the table then you can go okay this is this is how it's going to work but we are going to not just hand wave and say i don't know th- that that it's having an impact it's like here are the impacts and here are the ways that that those people that are impacted value that but it's not an exact dollar amount because you know what, what's the 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 value of a good relationship with your partner right like there isn't a dollar value to that like economists try and sometimes assign a dollar value but it's just yeah. it's it's so i wanted to to wrap up the the conversation around something we had talked about a lot in the pre-call which was like how do you build out the team like and how do you think about building out the core of the team that's going to drive your your mesh implementation forward like and what do you think is really necessary? Where where do you think that people might skip or, you know, somebody focusing on governance or somebody focusing on, um, you know, partnering with the execs or like, wh- where do you think about that conversation? If someone were to come to you, you know, you had all these people come in and present uh, to Airtel folks, like if if somebody asked you to come and present to them. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um- It's, uh, you know, I I think our teams have evolved over a period of time, Scott. Um, I think uh, when we started off this journey, there was really no one. There was, you know, there were just a couple of us trying to march this down, uh, you know, and and kind of explore this as an opportunity uh, to transform the organization. Uh, Over a period of time, we developed the entire product side of the organization to say this is essentially the platform that will get developed. So now, now that the platform is getting set up, Scott. Um, uh, The domains are getting onboarded. And now we are seeing an organization, a couple of roles that are coming up that we will probably have to hold as a central entity saying, you know, probably data modelers or, or some kind of a, uh, some kind of a, a setup that can go into a domain for a few months, you know, kind of set that up and come back. Right. So, almost like uh, domain onboarding teams. So, that's another piece that we are starting to see, right? Very soon as we kind of really drill down on governance, uh, while the platform is getting set up, we will start seeing certain roles that are needed for governance, right? To make sure that who are responsible to make sure that data coming in, data going out, uh, data getting processed is well-governed, right? And have measures in place, a council in place, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that will be the next big piece that we will tackle, um, Scott. Um, I think beyond this, there are, you know, obviously central security teams and privacy teams, et cetera, who are always looking at the, uh, you know, the platform and the work that we do, but those are central in nature. This is generally the setup that we have um, uh, that we have going. We are kind of gradually, as we see the role evolving, we start, you know, kind of, Putting putting a team around it, rather than starting that way.
0: Yeah, and I think um, that kind of uh, Scott Hawkins was the first one that I had really talked to was really big about the consulting team in a box to go in and go. We're we're gonna have somebody that's gonna do some of the work. We're gonna get you up to scale, uh, up to speed, up to the capability you need. We're gonna explain what ownership means. We're gonna hand this over gracefully. I think that's a pattern that's coming out a lot because. Uh, you know, it's either you have low expectations from the domains and in their initial data products, or you go, if we have high expectations, we're actually going to go in and uh, have um, some folks that need to be able to, to do some more advanced things. So, um, well, I mean, we, we talked about a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to or any way that you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode? I think
1: the the one thing we didn't really cover, and I think it, it may be a conversation for a later day, is is around what kind of, uh, you know, how did we really develop the platform, what kind of different uh, tooling that we've used, how do we, we think about some of these, especially as it comes to an on-prem implementation, right? I think uh, maybe a conversation for a later date, Scott, but I think the choice of technology and that actually played a very big role in how we accelerated Um you know, our journey as well. And so that will be an interesting one to kind of uh, pick up uh, for later. Um, otherwise, I think we've tried to cover a lot around how we kind of kicked off this journey, how we kind of onboarded a few domains and where we are. On this
0: journey. So I'm very happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. So, um, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Kind of where's the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? I think today our
1: focus is, um, you know, We've been on this journey, Scott, and we've we've benefited a lot from the community, right? Um, and so happy to kind of also share our experiences, add that back to the community. Uh, our experiences are involving data at very large scale, 40 petabytes kind of scale, um, you know on-prem implementation, multi-system complexity, significant multi-system complexity. If people uh, you know if, if if someone's interested in understanding our experiences, happy to share that. Um, we are interested in this uh, as a transformation journey. We are interested in thinking of monetizing data as another big piece. Happy
0: to have conversations on any of these, um, Scott. Awesome. And, and I'll drop a, a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. But uh, Sid, thank you so much for the conversation today. I really enjoyed it. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Sid Shaw, head of product data and analytics at Airtel. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.